0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Cooper Cole podcast, where we present in-depth conversations with Canadian and international artists in conjunction with their exhibitions at our gallery. My name is Magdalene Asimakis, and I'm the director of research and artist relations at Cooper Cole, a contemporary art gallery that was established in 2012. This episode features a conversation between myself and the Montreal-based artist Ev Tigny. In her work, Eve weaves lens-based mediums, installation, text and performance to explore spiritual and embodied expressions of grief and resiliency in correlation with nature's rhythms, cycles and materiality. Her work often focuses on gardens and disrupted landscapes as sites of memory inscribed with the dynamics of power and of colonial historical legacies. Eve earned her BFA from Concordia University and a certificate in journalism from the University of Montreal. She was included in the 2021 Mementa Biennial and has previously exhibited at the Visual Arts Centre in Clarington, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Montreal, Centre Clark in Montreal, Franz Kaka, and Gallery 44 in Toronto, as well as NGBK in Berlin, among others. For her current exhibition at Cooper Cole, entitled Unadorned Landscapes, Eve has created a new series of works in photography, video, sculpture, and installation. According to the artist, these works question the relationship between land and extraction. In response to the idea of creating home, she asks, How do we create it? Where do we take from? And how do we transform? On the wall of the exhibition is a video work depicting a performance and two photographs that reference it. In the center of the gallery is a raised, wooden, U shaped platform with clay tiles lining the top, many with inscriptions and markings on their surface. The platform is surrounded by hay, which also appears in the corners of the gallery with frilly straps on them. Leaning against the west wall, a large photo depicting an empty storefront hangs loosely on a wooden frame. We are recording this interview in conjunction with the exhibition currently on view at Cooper Cole in our West Gallery until January 7th, 2023. So here it is. I hope you enjoy. Okay, thanks for joining us. Welcome, Ev. Thank you for having me. So nice to see you. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm really excited to discuss the work with you. It's such an incredible exhibition. Maybe I can start by asking, you know, just generally how this body of work began and uh, what questions you were asking yourself as you were making it.
1: Um, yeah, I think uh... That specific exhibition started with a photo I took uh, just on a walk in London uh, last, when was it? Last May, um, and I visited Camden Art Center. And when I exited, I saw this um, commercial building that in the window, there were all these like, uh, kind of ripped uh, down, um, old billboard like posters of these landscapes and it recreated like this kind of ruptured landscape to me. And I thought, I don't know, that was very much the feeling I get, I think, when I go back to London in a sense. Um, so yeah, I think I was just really attracted to the image and it stayed with me and I was thinking about it and revisiting it and testing it out in the studio. Um, and I kind of build from that image, which is often uh, how I develop work. Like, I feel like images will be the basis of it. And then I'll add in, like, install devices or sculptural works or, like, different materials will come in. Um, but the basis often like an image. Um, and a lot of research and theory that doesn't necessarily yeah it comes in and out of the show but that feeds definitely like
0: um each element um a lot yeah and that um image but were you able to see what the landscape was on the on the poster that was in the window before it fell no
1: you can't really see it it's just kind of a suggestion I think um So that was interesting to me because you kind of see the back of (laughs) those landscapes. I I kind of assume they're landscapes. I'm actually uncertain exactly what they are, but it's kind of this commercial space. And I imagine that they were advertising probably like maybe they're selling like travels or properties elsewhere or something like that.
0: Mm -hmm. And and what was it about that moment or that photo that made you start thinking about uh, extraction or, or housing and home and
1: yeah I think that photo for me was an entry point into thinking about how we experience or navigate cities. Um and for me like as a relatively low income adult um I feel like London is a city I've moved into the first time when I was 19 and I revisit periodically um and I see a change but I also um change with it and feel the weight of like being in those kind of uh heightened spaces of like wild capitalism (laughs) differently um (laughs) but I think in general uh the show at Cooper Cole like where it sits where i'm at with the research uh has really kind of evolved from um nature's association with like grief processes and bereavement and then the garden and expanding into thinking more about specifically about landscapes and extending also grief into like i think a more general or broad definition of grief for nature in general or for landscapes or for our inhabits or for ways of interacting with our environments and grief from like I think people living either in situations of people belonging to diaspora and kind of having a dual relationship with the landscapes you inhabit and the ones you've left behind maybe forcibly or maybe willingly and I think all these topics are kind of merging into this question general question that I was asking with this show of how do we relate to landscapes how do landscapes um, create identity or shape it and then mostly also like who I think as a Black person specifically, like who is allowed to experience nature and landscape as spaces of leisure and who has to kind of perform those extractive um, capitalist like activities that then create this grief around like, yeah, climate change and disaster. and um, And yeah, so whose body becomes just a tool of like, extraction and i think you feel this sometimes when you just go on walks in these kind of um what seemingly pristine landscapes especially in britain when i last visited you know when this tension that you have with like the feeling of joy you can experience while there but also this kind of feeling that you don't belong there and that you shouldn't be there and you should be in the city or in urban areas um so I think all these like topics kind of mixed in and
0: uh, fed that show for me. That mm-hmm. makes sense. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, and I think I think a lot about your work as I think you put it this way, sort of resituating the body as a valid site of experience. And then you can traverse these um spaces with the knowledge that you're holding, which I think is really, you know, relevant. And so, and I actually wouldn't mind related is talking about the video work that the exhibition is named after, unadorned landscapes, um, which is takes place in Montreal.
1: Yeah, um, I worked. Uh, I worked with two performers really organically. Like I didn't really um, rehearse. I well, I had a photographic image in my mind of. Um, so the two performers were Dijaka, who's my brother. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's so sweet. And uh, Elizabeth Anne uh, who we've worked together on like two or three of my pro- past projects. And we've really developed, I think, um, well, she's trained as a dancer. She's also a teacher and um, she's just really incredible and uh I think was able to like pick up on my language and interpret it and make it her own. Um, so we really worked, I think on, it was instinctive, but we had like a strong kind of collaborative basis for it. Um, and, um, I had this one photographic still image, let's say that's also in the show as a print of her making a gesture where she has her hands are behind her back, but kind of reversed and, there's a bit of like tension, this idea that she's carrying this invisible weight um, and her body is like strong, but also kind of tensed up. Um, so I kind of built from that image um, and we went on this site, which is um, the new campus of uh, the University of Montreal. And it sits between uh, Outremont, the traditionally like a wealthier neighborhood and park extension, which is one of the most like ethnically diverse neighborhood, but also um one of the most like uh let's say low income, but it stretches like it's quite a, a large neighborhood too. And um the site of the university is on the old um yard of the train uh company the CPR yeah. um which kind of cut up the city it really is kind of a rupture in the landscape or like a you know, a big wound, I think that it created in between all these, uh, resent residential neighborhoods. Mm. Um, and the train track, like if you visit visited Montreal, it's, it's really, uh, it does divide neighborhoods in many ways. Um, you have this kind of grid and then it's kind of, um, ruptured by this train track. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, Interesting because there's this project of you know, there's a push and all this talk about how it uh revitalized, yeah, in <laughs> um, the area. And they're trying to like rebrand it with like Le Nouvel Outrement or give it a new name, you know, to attract yeah. um people. And because around the campus, there's also all these condos that are being built, um, and also commercial spaces that will be leased, um, but. Yeah. It, there's also a bridge that bridges Outremont and park extension and around this campus that's now up and running, there's still these pits of like construction areas where you just have this kind of, uh, you know, kind of uncontrolled, like new um, biodiversity, you know, of like, or this, natural landscape made of weeds or something that we don't usually value as like nature or landscape to go to but it's a really interesting place because it, it's now in a transition space and it made me think of Berlin a lot because it's kind of this open space that people around have just started using in a very organic manner like you have people who just go there for jogs or runs and then you had a lot of like video clips being like um or performance events um happening in these kind of construction pits. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's it has become like a place where I just visited a lot to like calm myself down in the summer and like you really have a good view on sunsets and you have this kind of space that doesn't feel too contrived yet, but you know it's coming because all these condos are just popping up around it. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like a very special place in the sense that you know that it's temporary and soon Mm -hmm. everything will be built and kind of contrived and controlled and Mm -hmm. that's the way we usually experience public spaces and you know I think there's a violence in that Um, and uh, yeah I don't know it's kind of right now a place of possibilities.
0: Um, Yeah there's a lot yeah I understand there's definitely a lot of control in the so-called revitalization of areas, but i I think it's so interesting that people are attracted to these sort of pits mm-hmm. the in between there's so much potential in an in between space, right and The people can go yeah. so many directions with it, which I find really fascinating,
1: yeah, and, and I-, I think there's projects also where people value this safeguarding of these spaces that are have like an organic like citizen uh you know use, yeah. But obviously, that doesn't yield profit. So, like, usually cities' (laughs) owners, you know, try to prevent that. And um, to me, that has affected my relationship to the city of Montreal a lot because I feel like growing up, I had a lot of these places, like uh, Place des Arts, like, where you have all the festivals, was, like, open pits, literally, with shows, you know. And then it became, like, this very sanitized space where um, you have to like experience things a certain way and um, Mm -hmm. that feels a lot less organic
0: do you think that there's more like freedom of movement in the in the sort of transition spaces like do you think that that you can do and interesting
1: and I think you know when you think of like cities like Berlin for instance that's why I was referencing that because people were attracted to that city because it was this very specific space where you had so many abandoned um, you know, spaces where you had that kind of chance to kind of build from it or reimagine those spaces or kind of, I don't know, make it into a squad that it's also a bar or this, or like yeah. a party in an open field, you know, and um I don't know, like walk for like meters and meters without um, necessarily having like rules that feel like binding, um, mm-hmm. and when you're in London, you don't have those spaces, <laughs> right? All, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So it was an interesting link for me between that space in Montreal and uh, that space in London.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's such a contrast between the two, um, and it, you know, I like that you've previously described the movement as, in this work as more gestural then performance. So in in the case of this video work you didn't actually choreograph it in advance um because you wanted the performers to work instinctively. Yeah, I'm curious about that and how how that relates also to what you're talking about of this sort of kind of space that doesn't have a purpose yet and so it's a lot more open.
1: Um I grew up in, uh, what has now being regarded right. as the Milex, which is the in between kind of, uh, Myland and Parkex and sits below Outremont. Mm-hmm. But I went to school in Outremont, but then I lived in like <laughs> the more, uh, unglamorous side, uh, which is now completely gentrified and has changed a lot. Um, yeah, but I definitely like lived around that area and, um, that space where the train yard was <clears throat> also become, became a space where you had a lot of like after parties and that's where we used to go party because a lot of these buildings were like inhabited by, yeah, young people kind of setting up like co-ops and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously like all it's of this like, disappears, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think for this video... I just personally, I think where my practice was at, I needed to reconnect with something that was a bit more. Um, I felt like I needed to make space for uh, instinct. Um, mm. And usually when I install this, I try to make space for it. Um, and I hope it transpires in the final result. Um, and there is also like, Uh, I feel like with the install all the elements are so like they're really thought of and they're justified but then uh, maybe yeah through gesture and through the body and the way I use it in the performance and then in the way I use it in the install um, environment of the gallery uh, then it becomes a bit more instinctive and I think I try to find that balance and maybe in previous works because my work was getting a bit more like I don't know, shown in bigger institutions or things like that, it felt a little bit more like I was trying to control it a bit more or kind of, I don't know. Um, I just wanted to, I think for this project, it felt essential that there was something like very raw and very close to the body in the way I filmed the performers as well. And in the way I let them fall into yeah those gestures and fall into like how does it feel to be in the space how does it feel to interact with someone that like you barely know but we're here to create this moment of like intimacy in a sense um and uh yeah I don't know I feel like it it really worked out quite well <laughs> yeah, um like in between them too you know and what kind mm-hmm. of um happen in that moment because my brother's not a performer at all but I feel like he really does have that sensibility and um, I don't know he did so good and then because Elizabeth is a teacher you know she was able to like guide him through like this is how you need to move to carry me and this is how you need to move to support my weight and I think a lot of the yeah the gesture kind of work for me is around that like how do we support each other or carry each other through like these kind of um uh what's the word I'm looking for um these spaces or environments they're not necessarily like made for us um or not necessarily uh that resolved you know and how do we find space or carve it and I think that's what most Black people do every day. <laughs> um, and I think I wanted to put that
0: at the forefront through, yeah, gesture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's lovely. I think it ties well with, I, I would just like to ask more about this idea of resituating the body as a, you know, a valid site of experience and how, you know, your work positions, movement as a way of processing history. Um, <clears throat> sites specifically so I'm curious about that and I'm also curious what it means to you to represent that in a gallery like how do you choose your media and modes of representing that when you know is it do you see it as a representation or is it another another space in which the performance occurs you know I am curious about that
1: yeah I think so when I was at university, I did this documentary with a dancer called the uh, um Haitian dancer based in Montreal, and uh, I feel like she th- taught me a lot. Um, when I didn't necessarily have the notions or the language around, uh, even like my own, I think culture or identity that's more tied to like my Cameroonian side, and. Um, growing up thinking that I was, like, a bad dancer or feeling very stuck in my own body um, and just not having excess spaces where um, I leaned into, like, inhabiting my own body, I think, uh, which is probably something that a lot of marginalized people will have experienced um, or experience. And, um, yeah, I think she she traced parallels between, um, Catholic culture, which, um, you know, um, kind of, you negate the body to make space for the soul. And, um, there's a disconnect, maybe broadly speaking in our cultures with, um, the body. And then she was saying how in every African culture in the world, you know, like you kind of, you move to, to, um, you know, kind of uh, um, experience, you know, or like you, not necessarily just dancing it away, but through, I think also gestures of care, you know, like sometimes you don't have words, but then you can just put your hand on someone's shoulder and express presence that way or support. And also sometimes like words are very um, inappropriate, (laughs) especially when you speak languages that are from like colonizers, for instance. Um, and uh, yeah, that was the first glimpse, I think, to me of a process of reconnecting um, with, yeah, kind of repositioning the body as a valid side of experience and kind of reconnecting with what I felt, but didn't necessarily um, express that much. And I'm making more and more space for it. and my life and I think through the work is one way to do that and one way to and then collaborating is one way to do it uh, collectively um, and I hope that um, and I think also like yeah putting back value of course this is something that's done like if I worked in a context for instance you know in Cameroon where my dad is from it wouldn't be read the same way but I'm a black pro- artist who works in the context of like a wide majority um and so my work is mostly being consumed or viewed I think that way and um and then yeah or experiences my experience navigating the world is as a racialized person um or not the world but society in which I I live now and um I think going back to this idea of thinking of black and brown indigenous bodies that have been reduced to tools. um, I do feel like often we're not viewed with as much, um, not as precious. I feel as um, white bodies and not as delicate or not as like deserving of care or attention or um, I think I, It's important for me to just reposition ourselves as that we're exactly that and we're also like much more but (laughs) we're also that right Um, and I think the performances then um act that way um in those contexts and then I'm hoping that through then the gallery space it kind of permeates you know like through the gallery space I there's kind of this irony where in my life, I don't have a lot of uh, Black people around me, but I feel like in my work, um, most of the time, it has to be that. And also in the work, in the way we work together, um, there's a common understanding of what it is to carry those bodies. And um, I think if I worked with white performers in this specific context like there's other contexts where i have and it's great because you know it it can also be really yield like so much um but in this specific context um i need to work from a common ground of understanding and not be lost in translation which is what we do most of the time (laughs) um and i feel like it's important to carve as much space as I can in those gallery spaces for work where I'm not doing it from a place of translation, where I'm doing it from a place that can be as authentic to intention and values and will as possible and instinct and spirituality. Um, and then, yeah, those spaces can be open you know, to viewers and or they can remain as open to viewers as possible, rather than be didactic. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. I think, I mean, and also, the act of sort of refusing a direct translation or refusing a direct, um, you know, didactic representation, to use your words, it's really powerful, because translation is such a, you know, tool of colonialism, right? The, The assumption that other cultures or people that have been other can their cultures can be easily translated or easily mm-hmm. knowable despite yeah. engagement or an active you know oppression or marginalization of it um yeah. so i think it's uh i'm always very interested in works that aren't that that don't offer full translation
1: mm-hmm. um
0: for every audience you know especially not a dominant audience
1: yeah and i think yeah there's definitely many ways to do that like I love to use text, and it's always delicate, right? Because you're always like, "Ooh, how much you know? Do I want to put at the forefront? How much do you need to conceal, or how much you know? Kind of." um, And yeah, it's something that I. It's kind of a double because you do. You do that work in the exhibition, and then when you write text or when you talk about it, you know? <laughs> so need to redo that work where sometimes with curators i'll be like i don't want you to write this specific term i don't want you to explain this because um it doesn't need to you know and it doesn't need to be presented always um yeah in this kind of context of i'm uttering myself if if i'm explaining myself
0: all the time (laughs) you know i'm continuing exactly because you are still if you're explaining yourself all the time you're you're working for a, a still dominant audience, a still white audience, you know? And um, <laughs> I, think about, I think about Audre Lorde, you know, how she talks about how it's built into colonial systems that people of color or any marginalized person needs to explain themselves as a process of their work. Um, and that she argues, you know, is like, uses up all this time so that you're not doing the work you actually want to do.
1: Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I think, actually, I find it really interesting because it ties into, um, yeah, this, I think a lot of the readings I've been doing around like access to landscape as like leisure slash as like a space of labor, uh, has been done by Jason Allen Peasant, who's a Jamaican, uh, poet and teacher, but he now lives in Leeds where, um, My collaborator Emil Khai lives. And so I visited like a couple of times in the last year. Um and uh he it was just interesting because he talks about slavery and racism as yeah, it's the basis of it is time because it robs you of your time, right? And um I actually have a mark, um From him in the gallery, there's the platform that contains all these tiles that I've engraved with um, information about those sites, but also like other information that I've gathered through those readings. And one of them is how he's talking about slavery as a technologization of the body. And I think for me, the performance um, and then the show as a whole and working amongst like black people and carving those spaces in nature slash urban landscapes uh, is really kind of an act of defying that right of defying this kind of technolization of our bodies and and reclaiming time as well reclaiming our time so yeah hence going back to this idea of we're working from like common understanding um, a common like feeling of inhabiting those bodies and then we like from there build together um, and create time. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's definitely links between all those like. Yeah.
0: yeah, and extraction is is one of the main themes of the exhibition. Um, I think about that a lot when I look at the works um, because you're, you're referring to both extraction of natural resources um, as well as labor. So it, it's interesting that you know the the refusal of certain kinds of labor the refusal of translation as as an a tool of um refusal or reclamation um and i'm also curious about how you see labor in relation to positioning the body as a site of value i feel like there's a lot of that dialogue in the video um that i would be curious to hear you speak about Hmm.
1: yeah i don't know i feel like it's interesting because I think also like I come from let's say two sides on one side like a lineage of settlers of like um, French uh, colon. I don't know how you or I guess you say settlers in England which is interesting because I tracked and I'm only the eighth generation which I feel like it's really a short time when you think about it it's like if I consider that I've known four of these generations uh it's not that long ago and then on the other end I'm um I'm a first born um like generation post like immigration um from my dad's side um and I feel like there's a tension in the idea of when I speak to other kind of first-gen immigrant, or I guess like Canadians um, or Québécois, um, labor becomes something really tense because sometimes we'll have parents who've sacrificed maybe certain skills they have and taken different forms of labor. Um, And there's a big push, I think, towards... In general, I think in a classist system, you know, there is manual labor will be less valued than intellectual work or labor. And so there's a rejection, I think, of manual labor as something that's like, you know, less, um, I don't want to say glamorous, but less prestigious. And there's also like a desire maybe to break away from it. And then making art is definitely this... <laughs> decision that seems to (laughs) defy all these categories it's probably I find one of the labors that is the less valued (laughs) uh you know like there's no I'm never getting paid for hours that I put into the work in ways that like uh a job attached with a wage would uh, even if it's a low wage like in this case that's definitely never a wage (laughs) to (laughs) the hours I put in and then they come back in different ways and so for me I think making art is like a way to kind of circumvent all of this um, and exist in ways where I'm inscribed in capitalist structures, but I'm also every day trying to kind of uh, (laughs) find them. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just like, um, I guess it's a really long answer (laughs) because I'm still thinking about these things, but I'm also just unsure how to speak on labor because I know I come from such a tradition where my body is seen as a tool of extraction and also, I come from like a generation where I've had access to higher education, and I also was able to navigate those environments really well, and I succeeded in them, um, you know, in this traditional sense. Um, so I'm also not, in a sense, like part of this kind of working class that needs to work for like every hours uh, to... to yeah to sustain myself and I also come from a space where this accumulated wealth that allows me to make art you know around me or not just wealth but resources I don't know it's just I don't have a clear answer I'm really uh... <laughs>
0: yeah I mean for sure it's a, it's a complicated question and it is you know I I guess I am curious about the site of um the video where you took in that in the pit i guess we're calling it and obviously it's a space of labor right there will be a lot of building happening there and extraction and i wondered because even what you're wearing is a bit reminiscent i guess of a construction um so i so i was wondering about the dialogue around labor there um because you're you know the the dancers are there they're not they're not working they're creating art and yeah
1: Yeah, it was interesting because when we filmed um, workers were present on the site and (laughs) sometimes we had to stop because this worker came in this little truck thing and would like move like piles of concrete and stuff (laughs) around and he was like a really angry man who was yelling because people also parked their cars there and He was so annoyed and yelling at the cars. And you also had like workers working on the surface of the condos in the background. And I've tried to like catch little glimpse of that. So you see that activity in the background. Um, But yeah, I think it was interesting because a lot of these workers were like, I guess, white Quebecers. Um, And then we were there, yeah, not (laughs) doing that type of labor, Um, But speaking about it in a sense, or like speaking more largely, I think of just um, how, well, first the side of like knowledge, which is the university, and then a side of like homemaking, but that is branded as luxurious and is not necessarily like accessible to a lot of people. Um, And I think they work hand in hand in a sense, you know, like these spaces of knowledge that are supposed to create wealth um, for people who access them. And so they can inhabit those same spaces. And I was hoping that in the video, you do see that tension between like uh, those different types of labor and those different types of movement. And what does it mean for, you know, my brother kind of digging through this kind of mud and like the crease and like kind of pushing through it and then Elizabeth performing like gestures that are much slower with the soil and taking time with it and activating it in her hands and doing a work that's a lot more around the consciousness of those materials and the consciousness of that history and the memory inscribed in it, you know, uh, with an activity that's like very like pressing and brutal and like like, I need to move these piles of dirt (laughs) Um, yeah so hopefully rather than presenting something that's one or the other thing I present something that you know is both these things at the same time intention and which is a lot more accurate I think regarding how we experience these things
0: Totally. Well, I'd also like to ask about the sculptural aspects of your work and installation aspects. Um, Some of the works, I feel like the materials that you use, it's almost like the installation has folded out of your video and photographs into the third dimension. So it's a really well realized, I think, um, installation. And some parts of it are sort of crossover between like NW3 landscape, kind of crosses over between photo and installation. And, and I think that's really fascinating. So I'm curious about the sculpture and installation aspects of the exhibition. Maybe we can start with the platform sculpture in the middle of the gallery that sort of takes up all the, the central space. Um, and, it ha- and you mentioned it earlier with the tiles on the top. I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting that platform really evolved because at first I wanted to make like an open pit in the gallery. <laughs> <which was maybe laughs> <a little ambitious. laughs> but um yeah, like that it was interesting. It was actually unresolved, like you know, a week before I was still really like, How do I crack this show? What is the solution for it? Which brings elements of like <laughs> stress and anxiety, but it's also like that really interesting question of like, again, I have these images, I have like the language, I have these ideas and what is the best way for them to come forward like in this space to offer something that when you go in as a viewer, you're inhabiting this whole world that like all these elements speak to one another. And that for me is like the most exciting way to work I rather than have different elements that are contained within themselves. Yeah. So I really love that approach. And I feel like to me, that was effective because I was working with the tiles and I was working with the idea of creating a platform where I would have an earthen ground. And I didn't know how these two merged. Um, and I think the tiles were always going to be on the floor and they were always a reference to homemaking and building and They're made of terracotta because it's, you know, it has a long lineage of this specific, yeah, type of soil that's used um, to make homes. And I think it's easy to read it when you see that color instinctively, like, you know, it brings those images to mind. Um, But they're also placed on the ground because for me, they tie into this idea of, like, what's within the soil that we walk on every day and what are those, like, notions of like private property and power and like wealth that are or like who are the traditional like guardians of this landscape or this land and are they recognized or they're not recognized you know and yeah I kind of developed the platform thinking about that and wanting it to be not just a platform to support like oh, here are tiles, but they really become one object. And the platform contains the hay, which is a reference to agriculture, which to me was a reference to maybe situation, situating the beginning of private property or this idea at least that you have uh, someone who owns the land and then people work the land. And then, uh, yeah, kind of these construction materials that are like very uh, raw in the space, like it's kind of the cheapest um like wood boards, right. I don't know how to tell them that you can get. And um they become a support for these tiles that are handmade and like um require a lot of manual labor. So not a way that we make tiles so much anymore. Or if we do, then you know you have to pay tremendous <laughs> amounts for them. So yeah, I feel like all these kind of different materials speak of these ideas that I want to inhabit in the space. And that's kind of how I approached each element. So the platform, the idea of the support for that photo image of um, the NW3 landscape, the way that then the video is presented on a flat surface, but then can kind of, yeah, exist in the space through the materials that are chosen and then the different repetitions of materials in different transformed states.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. Cause my next question was going to be about the hay, but it's, I, I, I love the idea of bringing in a sort of element that speaks to maybe early stages of capitalism, as mm. yourself in, in these late stages.
1: And I think um, if I can add something about like the use of the hay and yeah, there's like these straps on them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah there's like these I
0: love they're so beautiful
1: oh thank you um yeah I think I was really into like ruffles (laughs) but um I think I wanted to have a reference like it's also written in some of these tiles but uh going back to that space in London and I got really into like researching how much value represents land in Britain and it's I can't recall on the top of my head, but I think it's like 60 or 70% of like the income of like Britain is tied to um, land ownership. So it is like such the main (laughs) kind of, I think point of existing in in that country. And um, it's interesting because Britain has such, has built such a strong national identity around their idea of a pristine landscape and how, you know, they, they're the main kind of colonizers of the last centuries and, uh, enacted so much like ruptures of landscape and land and like land grabbing, like throughout the world, but never kind of, that doesn't happen in the home. And so they can preserve their own sites. They can preserve their own nature and they can still maintain this well that's tied to uh, landscape. And, um, Before, like, in history, you had landowners, and then you had what was called the commons. And you had this common land that was worked by peasants, and they would, like, share profits. And so everybody would work the same land, but maybe someone would, like, grow food, and someone would, like, take care of the cattle. And then you started having uh, land enclosure acts, and this idea of, like, creating, yeah, borders and fences and as markers of private property, and you start having this division of uh, landscape that happens, and then it kind of fragments and fractures your ability also to go through places and navigate landscape or access it. You know, and so it ties so nicely into your Montreal work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they were all like to me, speaking of this one same idea of like, where do we situate? the origin right of like ownership and private property and how do we define it and how do we define something that has value is it because it yields profit you know through like so agriculture is that right like it's kind of <laughs> working the land to yield profit or having sheep or having uh cows So to me, it was important that these materials were also present, like with the hay and uh, the straps are here to like, some of them are marked with some of these words and some of these ideas, and then some of them are just dyed with uh, some of these weeds or uh, plants or soil that I found in those specific sites. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they're kind of, they're there to bind something together, like they hold these ideas together but they also like adorn them and kind of make them into like this idea of um, I think for me they touched on this idea of like idealization of nature and the pastoral and this past life uh, as something like pristine
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, whereas like it was probably very gruesome and like really hard
0: work (laughs) yeah Um, something about the frilly straps that remind me of like a Boucher painting or something with the hay, but yeah, it's, you know, it was it was not quite a Boucher painting back then. I guess <laughs> in reality, That's, and then the the words on the straps. I I don't know where were they just your own writing po- poems or
1: um they were words that I drew from research mostly. One of them is like a direct quote from this author called Eula Biss who wrote this incredible article uh i think it's in the new Yorker, new york times uh but Biss and she does visit uh one of the last villages where you have commons in england mm-hmm. um, and yeah she makes so many parallels between that and yeah the way that we live today and um so some of these are like direct quotes and then yeah this idea of like private property and the commons and walls and fences, I think, draw a lot from that specific article. Yeah. The questions that were kind of um, the basis for the work as a whole.
0: Incredible actually to see how, because at first I thought, well, the materials are so interestingly related. And then sometimes there were connections I couldn't make like the hay with the tile and the, you know, London with Montreal and, 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 You sort of braided it together so beautifully so I appreciate that. And I always end on asking artists if there's anything they're reading right now, or, you know, when they were making work that shaped their thinking, or something you'd like to share I think it's always a nice gesture to exchange (laughs) these bits of knowledge.
1: Well, I wanted to mention that actually on Adoran Landscapes, uh, I took it from an article that I read in um, called Housing the Dead by Ken Warpole. It was actually written in 2016 in, uh, what's it called? Architectural Digest?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And in the article, he talks about yeah well it's called housing the dead so it's kind of the the architecture of um, funerals cemeteries and how it has evolved and how it's there's this big trend around um, kind of natural burials and so this idea that then the trace of your presence uh, returns to nature and leaves unadorned landscapes and I just thought It wasn't formulated exactly like that, but it just is something that stayed with me um, because it's a little ironic because I'm showing all these images of clearly like ruptured landscapes or landscapes that are being like mined or like built on. And so they are the opposite of an adorned landscape. But I think it was pointing maybe more to to this idea of what it would be like. Um, and is it possible for us to be present without like, is our presence in a sense, like a form of, you know, either adornment or like destruction. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, I think a lot, I was reading a lot of Jason Allen Payson, this Jamaican poet I mentioned, who's, I don't know, is just like beautiful poems, but also like a lot of beautiful articles he wrote. I think he really ties, yeah, these questions of access to landscape and nature as um, Black male in his case and um, lakes to like time and him taking walks as like an act of reclaiming time and space and like right to be and exist Um, and roam, you know, right to roam. Or I think he also mentions like Smelling a rose is having that time. And I really loved uh this idea. Yeah, I think I want to reference also the work of Emia Al Rai because I feel like it has really impacted my own work in the last years. Um, she's just this amazing sculptor who's based in Leeds, um grew up in Scotland from Iraqi parents, and yeah, it's just really one to watch and um I watch on repeat this really romantic movie called Far from the Madden crowd this <laughs> uh drawn from like a British classic by Tom Hardy Tomas Hardy I don't know if British kids have to read it in class but probably and it is very like it's in an imaginary world but it's it's set in like really this English pastoral setting. And uh, Thomas Vinterberg made a um, version in 2015. But it's really interesting because he's, like, really an art house, like, friends with, like, Las von Trier, director. But then he directed this, like, classic British romance novel.
0: I love that.
1: And it's, like, I don't know. I'm fascinated with that film. It's really, like, dark but also, like, romantic. And there's all these scenes of, like, just workers working the land and like chopping hay and like having to protect the crops from natural like elements and there's just these beautiful scenes of like there's a storm and we might lose our livelihood and I feel so disconnected having grown up in cities from that fear you know um that uh I think I just have a fascination for thinking about times or locations or situations where like you're still very, very much bound by you know
0: heavy rain or drought or so to my recommendation. Should, uh, do a screening now in your in your <laughs> exhibition, it sounds like. I'm so curious about this film.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's everyone's taste, but there is <laughs> you can tell he's like trying to still remain art house, but he's yeah. also like just really seduced by this like incredible landscape
0: yeah <laughs> i love it well yeah. thank you so much Ev. this was such a wonderful conversation the exhibition is beautiful so hopefully people will be able to come see it and if not they can email <laughs> us and we can send them all kinds of things
1: yeah thank you so much for having me and your thoughtful questions i really appreciate it
0: So, thanks for joining us. You have been listening to The Cooper Cole Podcast, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Cooper Cole is a contemporary art gallery in Toronto, Canada, established in 2012, representing emerging and mid-career Canadian and international artists. This podcast is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Magdalena Asimakis, that's me, with thanks to Simon Cole and the gallery team. The soundtrack was composed by the Toronto-based artist Timothy Yannick-Hunter. For more information about us, please visit coopercolegallery.com or email us at info at coopercolegallery.com. You can also find us on Instagram at the handle coopercole. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.